Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Petropolis Podcast. I am your host, Taz. My guest today is Brian Heathy. Brian's a new father to a human child, and he has also recently vacated his position in the world of finance and banking to become officially a full-time dog trainer. How's that, Brian? Going well there? (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, you know, 2020 is a year of, uh, you know, it's a down year for a lot of people. And uh, I figured, what the hey, I'll throw my hat in the ring. <laughs> big change. That's a big career move. So we, we've had conversations that have kept wavering toward human behavior as opposed to canine behavior. And right. today, today we're going to be exploring the human behavior and the psychological makeup relevant to the dog and human relationship so yeah that sounds like a lot but it's you know i'll simplify the question when we get to it so, sure um for my listeners i would love to get your feedback about this subject after you hear this i would love for you got for you guys to give me some feedback questions advice whatever you have email me at tell no tales at petropolis.com and let it roll. Let us know what you think. And um, I will be having Brian back again if he doesn't kill me in this episode uh, to answer some of those questions you've come to us with. I'm a fan of Dr. Stanley Korn. Um, he has uh, monthly articles published in Psychology Today called Canine Corner. And um, He's got so much great information on there. So I just want to jump in and talk about how humans and animals behave and what we're missing in the middle. So my first question for you, this is, um, this is kind of getting deep. What are the attributes or characteristics of a person who should not be a dog owner? Well, I'm not going to condemn everybody out the gate. That's pretty rough. But, but what I would say is someone who wants to be a dog owner should be going into it for the right reasons. And what I mean by that is you're looking for a companion. You're looking for a dog that you're adding to your family. Or if you have a specific job, if you're hunting, you have a farm and you need something to chase off the coyotes, absolutely. Um, I think that we live in a society um, that has almost found ways to prioritize um, noble causes above personal growth. And what I mean by that is, and, and actually I'm going to give an example. Sorry to my brother. I'm throwing you right under the bus here. Um, we were talking recently and it was something silly. It was, it was something like it was about mowing the lawn, I think. And, you know, we were talking and I'm like, well, why didn't, why didn't you mow the lawn? And he's like, oh, you know, because for my parents. Well, you know, our, our dad is, is not able to do it right now. I was going to do it, but I was busy writing applications. And right now he's, he's home, he's getting his master's and, and, you know, doesn't have a job and has been talking about, oh, I'm going to go get a job soon. Um, but he couldn't, you know, he couldn't mow the lawn because he was out filling out these applications or working on his resume, whatever it was. There was time in the day for both of these things to happen. And it was a matter of priority. And so his, his reasoning was, was one of uh, this noble pursuit. I need to get work. I need to buy, you know, he needs to, he total his car. I need to get a new car, all this kind of stuff. And it's, it's, it sounds great, 
but there was enough time in the day to prioritize all of these different things. And so we live in a society where we find ourselves getting consumed in causes in these, these very noble pursuits and dog rescue has become one of those pursuits. And I think that for a lot of people, they forget that dog ownership and, and in my opinion, really great dog ownership, dogs that have the most information that they can get communication wise, knowing expectations, all that kind of stuff. What, what is expected of me as your pet? Um, they get that stuff from people who really know themselves, who are very uh, in tune with who they are and know how to work at themselves, know how to build themselves up, know how to work on personal development, character development, all that kind of great stuff. And it's hard to prioritize that stuff if you're prioritizing these abstract causes above what you need to do at home. And it's not that you can't do both, but a lot of people have forgotten that just because there's this moral good or this, there's this great nobility to what the cause is, that it's given them permission to walk away from a lot of their obligations to themselves to fulfill the best life that they can live. And maybe that includes working at, like for me, like, all right, well, I wanna work at my fitness. I wanna work at making sure that I'm an awesome dad. So I sing to my daughter every day. I dance with my daughter every day. You don't wanna see me dance. And you know, I'll read her a book. So all that kind of stuff is what I think about when I go, well, yeah, there are really important issues in today's world. Today is election day. I know this is gonna come out in a couple of weeks, but there are really big issues that we're all very aware of, we're all very consumed with. But if I don't check off the boxes of being a good dad, because I'm prioritizing these, these bigger noble issues, I'm letting my daughter down. And, and I think it's, it's, that's a harder thing for most people to do. But letting yourself down is something that we're all very comfortable with. Well, I let myself down. Who's hurt by this? Me. Well, I didn't make my bed in the morning. I didn't follow my diet today. I didn't get up early to go read or write or go to the gym. Those are things that only hurt us. And it's very easy for us to let ourselves down. And I think that is the underlying, that, that underpinning of like when we think about dog ownership, what is the, the true challenge that a lot of dogs face that we don't even recognize? We're like, oh, my dog has separation anxiety. My dog lunges at other dogs. A lot of times the messenger and the respect for the messenger dictates the value of the message. What I mean by that is when we're seeing today, you know, I, I was driving through town and there's people dressed in costumes on election day. They're, they're acting a fool. They've got these crazy signs. And the thing is their message carries no value because the way that they're carrying themselves. So even if they made a really excellent point, the way that they're carrying themselves doesn't earn respect. And our dogs are very much looking to find ways to make us happy. But if we don't really also gain their respect, we're setting ourselves up at a huge disadvantage. And I'm not talking about methodology or anything else, but the way that we carry ourselves, they look at that. And that's why it's a lot of, I've heard this term in dog training, there's a difference between dog trainers and dog handlers. Dog handlers can make things look great when they're with your dog because they do all those right things. They can pull and garner respect from your dog, even if they're not doing any profound training or work with you, but they make it look great because they know all that insight. And I think that when you really try to pull this all apart, all of our owners, every client 
should work on trying to mirror that good dog handling skill, even if they have no intentions of becoming a dog trainer. And that starts with that self-work and learning how to respect yourself so that other humans and other species can respect you too. Here's the problem with that. <laughs> yeah, here's the problem with that. Social media. Mm -hmm. People are addicted. People are stuck to that phone and to those apps. Mm -hmm. And they're forgetting that dog has not peed for seven hours. Yes, they're uh, working from home. They're on Zoom. They're having their meetings. This is a, yes, it is a, the word, I love the word, unprecedented time. Yeah. So yes, it is an odd time. If you're working from home, the focus has changed. But right. there's also a lot of people who have chosen to take on the responsibility of having an animal in their, in their lives. Yes. And I personally, in everything I've seen 15 years in the pet industry, watching people, I'll tell you that 40% of the people that have dogs shouldn't have them. Forget the cat people. We're right. Dogs. <laughs> cat people, there's more. But, you know, I sit back and say, well, why do you have a dog? And there are certain personality traits associated with that. And yes, part of that is a person that is so not in tune with themselves. They're yes. This animal brings them a certain type of attention, brings them something that they're lacking in their lives. Mm -hmm. So can we pick a few things just to have fun? <laughs> sure, sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. Because I want... You know, we can talk about this philosophically because that's, it is that you and I can discuss that, but the audience wants to know, you know, and I know my, my audience wants to actually think about, um, what are those specific traits? What am I looking for? My friend who just got a dog who never lets the dog out of the crate, but says how much she loves him. Mm. What am I looking at? How can I help her perhaps rehome that dog or Think about that animal differently. So who are those people that we need to look at and perhaps, I don't know, maybe work with? I, I think the, the thing is, there, there's, there's like it's a lot to unpack there, but the, the thing is, let's say that there's someone who's creating their dog a lot. Well, what is that dog doing when they're out of the crate? Are they destroying the house? Do, would they have separation anxiety if they were with the human all day? and the human's working from home. I think that context can drive a lot of those narratives. So then it becomes a matter of where I see this, you know, mostly in, from the dog training perspective, people feel guilt about giving their dog boundaries. Like they'll welcome a new dog into their home. And, and you know, I'm absolutely going to leverage uh, a, a story that someone else came up with. Uh, his name is Blake Rodriguez of Dream Come True Canine. I'm gonna just throw that quick shout out to him. But he said, like, what if I came into your home, like, went in your bedroom, grabbed your bathrobe, you know, laid on your bed with my feet up, you know, and my shoes on, and I maybe I grabbed, you know, a bottle of wine, you know, from your basement, like, I'm just sitting in your bed. If I was your dog and I had, you know, a dog version of those behaviors, you might go, oh, he's so comfortable. Wow. He made himself comfortable in our home. I'm so happy to see that. But if it was a human, you'd be like, what are you doing? There's so many boundaries that have been crossed. I think, again, that self-awareness is a big part of it. But then also recognizing that there are people out there who are adopting dogs 
and they don't know how to fine tune that balance. Why is it that 30 years ago when dogs primarily lived outside, we didn't hear all the troubles of, of leash aggression and like, like we've not had fence fighting, you know, 30 years ago as prevalent as we have it now or separation anxiety, especially. So mm -hmm. what changed? Well, we've invited these dogs into our homes, into our beds. The, the boundaries that, that used to exist have gotten more and more gray. And so all of a sudden we've got, we've been very accommodating to our dogs. We've been very like, let's make them comfortable. Let's be more on the nurturing side of things, but then we'll not expect anything of them. And I, I truly believe that there's a lot of owners who go, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but my dog is lunging at other people. It's, you know, it jumps up at, at you know, my older parents or jumps on little kids, knocks them over. It's just a, a ball of energy and I have no control over it. But every night it's sleeping in my bed. I go out every day with this dog on a harness, which is, makes it more comfortable for me to not get pulled over because maybe I feel like I have more control, but the dog isn't learning not to pull. I would never want to have the dog actually change its behavior. I just want to restrain it from bad choices indefinitely and then complain about these bad choices, which again, to your original point, feels a lot more about the human getting attention for the misbehavior. Mm -hmm. So I, again, it's, it's that self-awareness and it's about being willing to say, I need to part ways with guilt about creating my dog or not letting them sleep in my bed or not letting them on furniture because what it means to my dog is a reinforcement of all the behaviors that have culminated over the last week you were giving them the the uh this this huge prize that did again didn't exist 30 years ago when it was living outside in the doghouse or, or maybe 50 years ago but like that all has changed you've given it this huge reward and then you go man like i don't understand they're i'm giving them their paycheck every week and they're they're doing everything wrong <laughs> but like i don't know what to do differently well stop giving them that paycheck mm -hmm. but that's again it gets back to is this about you or is it about your dog if your dog's well-being your dog's behavior making sure that you're not putting your dog in a position to have animal control calls that's your job and if you're not doing it then who is this relationship about is it about how you feel when you come home and your dog's so excited to see you and they're jumping all over you, but then you'll complain five minutes later when they're jumping on a guest, but they practice thousands and thousands of times of bull rushing the door. Well, yes, you're encouraging that. But again, is it about you or is it about your dog? Who is, who is being prioritized when we start thinking about the reward we're providing and the behavior that we're encouraging daily? It's about us. A lot of times, a lot of the people who struggle, it's about, it's about the human. I feel good giving my dog table scraps when they beg, but I don't like that they beg. <laughs> so, right, like, but it's about how we feel. It's, oh, I feel so good. I love, you know, I want my dog to know how much I love them. I want my dog to, I miss them all day when I got home and they were jumping on me. That's about us. That's about how we feel, not about what's good for them. Yes, absolutely. And that's my frustration. And more and more people getting animals we're creating a dysfunctional group of dogs who are miserable. Mm -hmm. Because you pull them from the shelter doesn't mean you're doing them justice. Yes, they are better off. They are, for the most part, hopefully. Unless yeah. you're a total narcissistic, freak out, crazy person. <laughs> um, and then, then we apply our own personality disorders to the animals. Right. 
Right. My dog is selfish. Well, so am I. You know, it's that kind of mentality. And, or I'm very outgoing. So is my dog. So that connection with their animal, it's about them. It's right. about the pet owner. And this is where I get frustrated. And I always sit back and say, why do you have a pet? And because I want to give back, because I want to take them out of a shelter, because saving a life, and it's about saving a life, is it? So do some self-discovery um, before you bring in an innocent being into your world of um, confusion. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know how else to put it. I mean, you're, you're certainly, uh, you're more poetic than I am here. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, it's a lot of analogies for a long time. You start to really see the forest through the trees when you, you work with a lot of these people and a lot of these dogs. And it's, you, you, you start to get that bigger picture for sure. And do you think, I mean, as, as a trainer, you, you left the corporate world. You were, left the world of finance and banking to become a dog trainer. I mean, it's a whole changeover. But again, it's about psychology and connecting with a human. It's, it's, is it about the animal or is it about the person when you train? And what, do, what should people be looking for when they're hiring a trainer? I, I think that there's, again, there's, there's never one size fits all. I, I think that a lot of, so a lot of the clients that I prefer to work with are people who have already tried a lot of other methods first. I like, I like people who've been like, I've been trying to make this work and I've tried all the trainers that fit my emotional agenda um, before I was ready to say, now I'll do whatever it takes. Because those people are typically, it's, it's, it's kind of like going to the gym or or going on a diet and like, you almost want them like, well, what did you do by yourself first? Well, I did this video or I bought these DVDs and I tried it this way and now I'm ready to do it. Like that's who I'm looking for. And I think a lot of times when we're looking at dog trainers, uh, just from a client perspective, it's important to know what you're comfortable with and what results you're looking for and what work you're willing to do. Um, it's something I've even seen like recently, like just this is like a really fascinating thought, but like if you put your dog through a board and train, you shouldn't expect your dog to look trained when you pick them up. And that's a weird thing for people to be like, you're telling me board and trains are thousands of dollars. You know, like that's something that a lot of trainers offer. And I'm going to pick up this dog that doesn't look trained. The, the secret sauce, the secret part of this that we are sort of circling around, as the human, as the, the person who lives with this dog, we are at the scene of the crime in every behavior that, that's, that's incorrect, that's inappropriate. We're always there, we're always around and we're seeing it. Or if we're not, we're still the biggest contributor of information to this animal. And you know, you, the human will show up and the dog looks untrained because the dog has made so many associations with the human. And so when the human arrives, you could have had that dog walking down like Main Street in a busy city, ignoring other dogs, like if it was like leash reactivity or something, ignoring other dogs, like politely walking by, walking in a pack with a bunch of other dogs, all like just like I'm in a, in a group. And that owner walks into the situation 
and it all blows up. It all blows up. And it's because that dog has such a strong connection and a strong association with that owner that really what the board and train does is it teaches the dog, here's all of your expectations, here's how to do all these things. And then separately, the dog trainer then needs to teach the owner, your dog knows all of these things, even if they're not showing it, this is how you kind of continue to recreate these results. And I think that that's something that's, that's a big pill for a lot of people to swallow because they're like, I want to see the, re the results. You could watch it online. You could watch this dog do everything great with somebody else. Mm -hmm. and, and like, and I even hear it like people say, oh, I let my dog loose in the park. Like I go to the dog park and the dog's great with other dogs, but if I'm holding the leash, forget it. Well, mm -hmm. What's the difference? You're there. You're there. Yeah. So I, again, it gets back to that self-awareness. Like you need to know who you are and then you need to know realistically, in, in my opinion and in my beliefs, what are your target goals, right? So if, if you have, if you have a really easy dog and, and you're just looking to do some basic obedience stuff, find a trainer who's just going to do basic obedience with you. Like that's, that's something that's typically really easy to find. There's a lot of up and coming trainers who do that stuff who like, it's just your basic, like, let's do your commands. And it, that stuff is good for any dog owner to do because you get to practice timing. You get to practice, you know, when to give the treat, when to, to give the marker. If you're using a clicker, when to click, when to say good, whatever, yes, whatever the term is. Like there's so much to just marking a behavior that's incredibly valuable that that's something that anybody can do. And the reality is you could do 90% of it for free online. And so then that gets further down the rabbit hole. Well, if you're hiring a trainer, why haven't you done it yet? And if you have, okay, then you have a good reason to hire a trainer but most of the content is out there for free. Like what, like the entire premise of my business is I'm going to be providing ongoing content for free that goes into how, why, the reason I think what I think, my beliefs, all that stuff. And if your trainer's not providing you countless videos and free content, what are they holding back? Why are they not sharing their information with the public? What, what is their secret sauce that they think that they've cracked that no other dog trainer has offered before. I'm not trying to like criticize every trainer out there. No, no, but, but you should no know. There, but that, that's the thing. There is no secret sauce. We already know there's all different types of behavior and there's a process to handle those behaviors. And right. the human has to be part of it. The pet owner has to be part of it. And if they're not, there's failure, period, the end. But, Absolutely. But I mean, the attention that the owner needs with the one-on-one -on -one training is also key because the focus is not there enough. Those that don't know haven't delved into themselves. Those yes. Those have not taken the initiative in knowing who they are as people and how they, how they, would, they would parent or how they would set up a process and have a structured environment. Those who don't know that need guidance from one-on-one -on -one training. Even if the information's there, they don't recognize those um, points that the dog or the communication the dog is having with you. Right. So you, on the other side, has to say, well, your dog is telling you this because he's doing this, this, and this. It's almost, it's almost like anal. Like, you got to get deep in there. And you, you, you have to. And, and I think that's the thing is, is it's important to find a dog trainer who you feel like you can relate to who you feel like you can be vulnerable with because the reality 
is that this person should be giving you coaching. And I've seen, I've seen dog trainers who go out and they mansplain everything to people and they make people feel small. Like, well, I know what to do. Why, don't, why can't you just do it the way that I do it? And I think that finding a trainer who's going to build you up, who's a coach at heart, a coach or like a teacher at heart, find someone who is going to understand that like you're going through stuff. And, and, and that's what I said at, this, at the gate is like, working on yourself is one of the first pieces of becoming a good dog owner. And a lot of times, you know, people see a wagging tail and they go, oh, that dog's happy. But it just means that they're aroused. And, and to go down that rabbit hole, like all of a sudden you're like, well, yes, maybe some video or, or some cartoon showed a wagging tail and, and it implied happy. But like in reality, there's so many other things to be watching for that if that's all you're seeing, you're missing out on the big picture. But like, why are you seeing it that way? Like, the, you know what I mean? Like it might not be so simple as like, oh, well, I'll point out the other things. It might be like, I need to kind of like rock your world a little. And like, no, that just means arouse. Here's everything else that it means. And then also like, why do you feel like, what are you so preoccupied with that you're, you're not seeing those things? Right. And that's, Great point. that's the other part. That's and the good point. Yeah. Right. And there, there, that's, that's where it really gets back to like the psychology of it. Like you need people, you need a dog trainer who can read the dog but also read the human. A lot of dog trainers love animals, mm -hmm. but they, and they're able to teach these animals incredible tricks, incredible things, but then they can't help the human get over the hump. They can't help the human get to that aha moment where they're like, oh, I never saw it that way. And I think that that's the really deep, big, hard part of dog training is it's about finding a dog trainer who's going to work with you as a human understand what your dog needs, understand what you're capable of, and find a way to navigate that. How can I coach a human? So like the human's really good with marking good behavior, but they're not comfortable um, maybe like using spatial pressure to back a dog up. Okay, well, how can I leverage what this human's already good at to slowly bridge that gap? Okay, like let's have you like back up your dog because your dog is like, I don't know, like weird with food or like they're giving another dog the stink eye. Let's, let's try to like give them some sort of feedback to not do that. Well, if, you're, if you don't know how to time that stuff, if, you, if you're not comfortable with it, your dog trainer should know, well, this is what they're good at. How can I bridge this? This is what they do for a career. How can I bridge what they do into what they need to do with their dog? That's a really different skill set than saying I can train a dog to do anything. It's a very different skill set. So the human part of it, is what you should be looking for. And I think that's why word of mouth referrals are the best thing in the world. If you're trying to hear about somebody, what type of friend is this person who's referring them? Are they, are they strong? Are they someone you look up to? Are they someone whose opinions that you admire because of the way they present themselves? Mm -hmm. Well, okay, that's good. But, but if they're not, if there's someone who you're like, well, I like them and all, but would you take advice from them? No. Like, so, so like try to have all of that context, like who do you really want to lean on when you're getting input on like who to hire as a dog trainer? Got it, that's, uh, that's great advice. Interestingly, tell me what you think of this because what I've noticed when I first started my business um, 15, 16 years ago, people were actually more honed in 
on what was happening with their dogs, the pet owners that were coming into my store in New York City. The last five years, I feel like everyone's in this state of rushing to get nowhere. So, and they don't recognize what's happening with their animals. So I'm wondering, again, is this because of the way we're communicating with each other and again, the era of social media and too much information and not stopping and having some silence and taking in what's happening in our environment. Do you think all the, all the feeding frenzy with the data is causing us to be less self-aware? Yes, 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 yes. That is, that is the biggest thing. Um, one of one of the things that I feel like we've we found ourselves in is we've stopped thinking and we're accepting the shortcut of being told what to think. And I don't mean that like like you know, like I'm not trying to go down like, you know, COVID-19 and masks and like all that kind of stuff. Like everything is highly politicized. That's not the direction I'm going. But what I'm saying, simple something as simple as like um DCM is caused by grain-free foods. I, that actually was a kind of a huge wake-up call for me. Like, here was this thing that's getting put out in the news. Mm-hmm. Science says, and the term science or science-based was used by the media as a bludgeon to get people to not ask questions. But then when you look at the research, and I'm sure you'll be able to put up a link to another podcast, another episode um, that goes into all of the details and that definitely d- dives into this stuff. Um, <laughs> Yep. But the, the science didn't actually support it. Yeah. It was, it was parascience. It was an op-ed that, that really like, like if we really go in, this wasn't peer reviewed. This didn't go up the pyramid of evidence. There wasn't enough to support it, but the news outlets reported it as science-based facts. And that's the challenge is that when we get down to brass tacks, how many things are we just accepting up front? as science-based without doing our due diligence and say like, like I hear people all the time, like, well, uh, well the evidence says that, that climate change is, is real. And then you'll hear from the other side. Like if you hear these two arguments, uh, the liberal side, uh, climate change is real. And then the conservative side, climate change isn't primarily man-made. They're not even arguing the same discussion. Look like like the like, like apples are, are are green and the other one's saying oranges are orange and you're like what like how what how is this relevant but but they're just I think the thing is when we really dig into it how many studies have you or I actually looked into and been like all right what peer reviewed studies are out there what I've not done the legwork and I know a lot of highly opinionated people who have also not done the legwork. And I'm sure there are some who have, and, and that's great. Yep. But knowing like that, that pyramid of evidence, knowing how to do your own homework is a really big thing. And to your point, I feel like people in the last five years are so distracted. They want the shortcut. They want someone to just tell them, oh, well, I trust this person. So they're gonna do the research. They're gonna tell me, and then I don't have to. And I think that's a really lazy way out out of a lot of things. And, and like N- N- Nikki's, you know, obviously like that's the person we're referring to with this DCM article, um, you know, who, or debunking the, the, that DCM claim. 
But um, she had sent me an article about clicker training and how if you give a treat every time versus not every time, the latter causes more pessimism because there's a higher you know, latency between when the dog is set up to do the task and when they actually complete the task. And so they go, well, giving a treat every time with clicker training is clearly more effective. And I kind of look at that and I go, well, most pet owners don't need a dog to like execute a behavior quickly. A lot of times they're saying like, I need my dog to not go after the, the allergy pill that I dropped or the chocolate that my child dropped on the floor, or I need them to not bull rush the door and knock over, you know, my parents or, you know, niece and nephew when they come over. Like the, the desired behavior is often not doing something and not how quickly you're doing something. And so what is the relevance of, of latency and pessimism? So like, like, well, yes, absolutely. So, so it's, and it's not that it's inherently like a bad study. Like there's definitely value in it, but I think trying to get the context of like, the context is important. And if, if consumers and dog owners aren't digging in, they're just going, so I have to carry a treat bag around with me everywhere. And it doesn't go into what's replicable. It doesn't go into what is going to, if you're out on a walk, that treat doesn't become a steak because you saw a rattlesnake that your dog is interested in. Like we just, we, there needs to be like a little bit of this, this like common sense that we bring to these studies to back up and go, is it valuable? Yes. But is it relevant or is it relevant in all scenarios? We as, as consumers need to start being more present with ourselves and our thought process and our dogs. And it, that's the huge challenge. You're not, you know, if we're not reading our dogs, we're not putting in the mental work, we're taking all these shortcuts, we're, we're glued to our phones to, for someone to tell us what to think. Mm -hmm. We are completely removed from our lives. And, and to your point earlier about me leaving an awesome corporate job, I had a daughter. I'm going to be missing out on her first steps, her first words, her first crawl, and I hope you don't hear her too much in the background as she's fussing. But, you know, those are all things that I would miss out on staring at a screen 40 hours a day. And it's not that I'm not gonna be able to work and, and do other things, but now I can kind of go, well, she's asleep, I can do this. Or my wife is with her, like, I know that my wife and I are raising her the way that we want, but we're present for all of it. That's a really, really big deal. And I think that everyone is going to have different things that kind of motivate them or push them. But when she was born, like I, someone said to me, like, how are you leaving? Did you win a million dollars? And I said, yes. And I sent a picture of my daughter. Like, yes, I did. I did. Like, I know what she means. And I think that what's going to motivate us to become present with our dogs, to become present with our thoughts, to become present with ourselves, it's different for every person. And, and I'm not a therapist. I don't do that stuff. But I do know that getting therapy, getting help needs to not be taboo because it's no longer like, oh, like you have something seriously going on. You just, you've let yourself become addicted to your phone. You've let yourself become addicted to video games or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You've let yourself become addicted to something that's not benefiting you day in and day out. And now you've lost yourself. And so therapy can help with that. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't need to be this crazy thing. But becoming self-aware is your starting point. And if you're not, that nothing else will ever be easy for you. Dog ownership, like trying to be present as a father, as a, as a son, whatever it is that, you're, that you care about, 
will never be easy for you if you've let yourself get distracted by things that are trying to get your attention mm -hmm. and aren't looking out for your best interest. And, and the, the biggest thing I would tell anybody who is currently addicted to your phone, leverage it, leverage that. Delete every toxic, nasty person on your phone, block them, unfollow them, whatever you need to do, get them gone because you are consuming that stuff and it's it deteriorating you. And well, you don't even know it. It takes you away from the possibilities that you can create. It takes you away from that time with that animal and the errors that you're making and destroying their well-being as well. Someone, but but follow dog trainers. Follow, follow people who are doing what you... Follow people who have the relationship with your dog that you want to have. That's taking self-awareness. Right. I know. That, I know. <laughs> you go back to being self-aware. So... If you're not self-aware, don't freaking get a dog until you are. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if you're not self-aware, you often don't know it. So that, that's, you know that's <laughs> yeah, that's the biggest challenge. So another thing I wanted to talk to you about, I said we're going to talk about two subjects today. Um, and you coming from the finance world, the business world, you get this. Um, er, okay. So recently, in the recent five to six months, there's been an uptick in pet adoptions, right? So yes. the pet industry is kind of, you know, it's a $70 billion industry. It's excited that all these animals are in homes and um, more breeders, more puppy mills, more rescues. All these animals are going into homes. Great. Behavioral things happen if you're not self-aware. All these things are happening. And then Petco a big box store, major player in the industry, makes a claim. Um, and I want to know if people listen to these claims. Yeah, my concern is, do people listen when these big corporations make these massive claims? So I want to get into this a little bit with you. On October 6, 2020, Petco announced that they are stopping the shock. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, yeah, <sighs> If you know me, you know my the first words out of my mouth would be "What the fuck?" You know. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, why didn't they look back? I mean, I have articles from the year two thousand from veterinary behaviorists who were together discussing the pluses and minuses of using shock collars, and this group of twenty-three researchers and veterinary behaviorists put out a massive outline of all the reasons why not to use shock collars, why mm -hmm. cause an animal to regress and make things worse. This is the year 2000, 20 years ago, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And October 6, 2020, Petco makes this announcement as if it's something new. Um, so yeah, my first thought is, what's their agenda? All these people have animals now. Yep. You know, having been involved in the finance world and banking, just having common sense. You know, we had this conversation. You made a really great point. If you could just, if we can go backtrack to our conversation. Yeah, prior to yeah, this, sure. What is the goal here? What is a real agenda? Because, yes, they're going to lose that sale because there are people who don't know enough to, to not buy the shock collar. And what is Petco's agenda here? Well, the, the short of it is Petco is uh, for, for people who are in the world of using uh, 
e-collars and using stem to correct their dog, you know, similar to invisible fence, but with more versatility, um, they're likely going to a professional to do it, right? They're going to get it from a qualified dealer. They're going to get it from the hunting store, right? Like for working dogs, like a lot of them use that stuff with that purpose. They're not going to Petco to buy this collar in the first place. So Petco was carrying this from my perspective because they're primarily trying to handle pet animals, not hunting animals, not working animals, nothing like that. They primarily carry this tool as a behavior modification tool. We're trying to eliminate bad behaviors. This is why we carry it. Well, how much margin are they making off that versus off of their pet classes? Yep. <laughs> so plain, plain and simple, if they already weren't getting the sales and they have someone coming in, my dog is, is you know, Cujo. I have no control. I don't know what to do. And they're like, well, we have our pet training class that you can join. Well, that's 100% margin. Like, you made all that money. There's, there was no product. The products are going to be sold. All their natural products that are really not natural, but um, all their fake natural products without the fake preservatives will also be sold to these clients. So the margins are going to be even higher for them. Right. With these new clients that are coming in for training, which is right. Just but don't bullshit the public. That's my concern. They. And they're still selling rawhide. I mean, let's, let's really, they I, I, my favorite one is the beta exercise uh, thing that they sell. I don't know if you've seen this before. It's a mirror. <laughs> it's a beta fish. It's a mirror that you put in the beta fish tank and they say it's an exercise thing. If you know what that's actually doing, you're like, oh my gosh, you're torturing this animal and they sell this. But like, the thing is, these companies, these, these, these places that come out with these these slogans and these emotional agendas. Again, it's the message isn't what was important here. It was, this was about the messenger. I want you to think of us as a caring company, but we are literally doing nothing to actually demonstrate that besides the one, the one thing that lines up with the slogan that is, is catchy and popular. But what are they actually doing? Zilch, nada. Like, they're also causing harm. Yes, they are. Part of, part of the problem is that this does cause harm. It causes confusion, more confusion than, than not, because consumers are going in there thinking that they're going to get answers that are relevant to their needs, where they don't even know what their own needs are, because they don't, they don't even know what questions they should be asking. So right. it's, it's almost a script for the workers. And that's my concern with the training. And that's why I'm asking you this question. You know, yes, they're going to get a hundred percent profits with their trainers, right? Yeah. They do have to payroll, do the payroll, but. Right. They were going to do that anyway, though. That's going to happen anyway. Irrelevant. And the sales are going to be there. Wonderful for other products. Great. But are these trainers capable? My concern is uh, the trainers. Are they trained properly to help these new dog owners who, are, who really think they're going to get something that's going to get them to a good place? So I'm concerned about that. So I want to think about how I want to phrase this. 
it's critical to know your dog, to know your skill set, and to know what you're up against and what your desired lifestyle is. So if you have a dog that's leash reactive, for example, and your goal is for that dog to be able to sleep in your bed every night, you want to give it that pinnacle of rewards. That's fine. That's fine. You can do that. But understand, you probably want to cut out some of that stuff for a while and make your dog earn it. And how do you go about that? You need to find the right trainer who's going to teach you what is or isn't acceptable for your dog. Fixating on a dog, not okay. Well, maybe you try to redirect your dog. Maybe you try distraction work. All right, well, this, the dog is fixating, but I'm going to distract it. Well, as soon as you are done distracting it or eventually the distraction isn't valuable enough or you're not getting consistent results, the dog is still fixating on other dogs and now you're like, well, shoot, I'm stuck. And there is a world of, of almost, I want to say, two dog training philosophies that is out there. Um, one that is there's, there's no consequences. There's, and then there's another that's, that's typically called balance and they'll use consequence. They'll use, you know, all four quadrants of learning and they'll also use a variety of tools. Some of them will use just a gentle leader. Some of them will use prong collars. Some of them will even use e-collars that are, that are so condemned. Depending on your dog, depending on what your dog needs, I think that it's important to understand you are looking to expand your toolbox as much as possible rather than euthanasia. I, right? Like, like, and, and I'm not saying like, oh, e-collars are the solution and everything. What I'm saying is every dog is different. You want to expand your toolbox as much as you can before you look at the words euthanasia. So if you have a dog trainer who's not using any consequence or not using all of the tools, and they have said that some of these tools are wrong. They, they have an, a moral agenda around some of these tools. That's fine. If they, they can call it a shot collar evil, and another trainer might call the e-collar your solution. I've known people personally who've had dogs that have limited their lives to such a debilitating point. They couldn't have family over. They couldn't go anywhere. They left the dog alone. It would do harm to itself, it would, like within a crate, like all that kind of stuff. And then they found an e-collar and a trainer who used it and they saved their dog's life. But they've had multiple other trainers tell them to euthanize their dog or to con or say that your, your damnation to your property um, and, and being condemned to your property is an acceptable outcome. Your dog can just never be around other dogs. It can never see other people. And if it sees children, like we need to like launch fireworks to alert people to run away. Like, they were they were dog trainers who were teaching to restrain your dog in place of training them because their moral agenda was more important than your dog successfully integrating into the world around it so so like i'm kind of coming in like swinging a little bit at the, the philosophy Get it. and and yeah. that that specific philosophy mm -hmm. there is room for all forms of trainers there are room there's room for trainers who don't believe in using all of these tools but as an owner, educate yourself, find thousands of videos of your type of dog because you are not the first person to have an aggressive dog. You are not the first person to have a fence fighting dog, a leash reactive dog, a dog with profound separation anxiety. It, you are not the first. Find a dog trainer with tons of free content. See what you can implement successfully. See what they have handled successfully 
Look for the results. Don't look for someone who's going to sit there and pitch you on their ideas all day and has never shown final results. The content is out there. And I think that's the big thing is when we look at these types of agendas, they are dangerous for the general client base mm -hmm. because they are being convinced that euthanasia is better for their dog than a temporary discomfort that, that is going to cause permanent you know, trauma. Instead of saying, you know what? Maybe that isn't going to cause permanent trauma. Maybe I can do my homework. Maybe I could look at thousands and thousands of videos that are out there and see that my dog might be savable with the right tools. And again, that doesn't necessarily even mean e-collar. But the moment we start going down the narrative of, well, this tool is morally wrong, even if it can help save lives, I think that's a dangerous road to go down. I don't think the, the tool should be banned. What I believe is that stores that don't have the ability to talk about or direct the consumer to the right space should not be selling it. Right. I never sold them because I had conversations and my staff was trained to have conversations and right. to direct them to the right people, to the right training facility, to the right trainers who can guide them. And if that was an option that they needed, they can work through that. And how yes. do you, because if, when you make a mistake of zapping your dog, every time they bark, come on. Yeah. That's where the humanity aspect needs to come in. And, and, and that, said, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, again, being self-aware, this all goes back to. Yes. Yes. You, what are we doing to facilitate a calm household? Why is our dog barking? Well, what, where have we put them in a position where they, they have now believe it is their responsibility to deal with the mailman? Like, like that's, that's right. That's the missing piece. That's the, that's, it's not about the tools. And, and that's why I'm saying, like, I feel like it's, 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 as a society, we have a profound tendency to not address the deeper underlying issue. And so we start doing things like, well, the shot collar is the problem or the system, like, like healthcare or whatever, this is the problem. That's the problem the cost of college is too high and, and it's, you know, we're not be able to lend people enough money. Like, like, I think the problem is that as a society, we really are doing a poor job at being just cognizant enough to dig deep enough to go, oh, that's the problem. The problem is that it's frowned upon to be a plumber or an electrician in our country with that college issue. It's like, like, what are the deeper societal issues that we're not really pointing the finger at and saying, wow, like, I know people who are doing great in HVAC. Like, the thing, like, that, that's the thing. Like, we have this tendency to just gloss over the actual issue. And, and to your point, it's not about the tools. The, like, the, the, the reason why they're condemned is because a lot of times they are used in the wrong way. A broom can be used in the wrong way, though. Yes. And, and I can tell you firsthand, like around some of the places I'm around, like people can misuse a lot of things. They could even misuse their voice. 
I hear people screaming at their dogs nonstop and the dog is off like <laughs> just unhinged. And it's not the dog's fault, it's the human's fault. The human isn't even using an e-collar, but I disagree with what they're doing. Right. So I think that's where I look at it and I go, it's really not just about the tool. And it drives a narrative that really breaks away from like the underlying reality. We all have work to do. And it starts with being self-aware. Absolutely. And it takes, you know, this is where businesses, small uh, retailers, um, you know, independent retailers and, you know, Nikki and I, we're, we're all trying to accomplish good and give back to the right. partners so we can guide them. And it's very frustrating when you have these big box stores make these claims of what they're doing to help your pet. And it's, again, they make it about the tool. We're going to take away all the preservatives. Well, you can't take all the preservatives if you're making kibble. You can't. Impossible. If you're selling kibble and canned food, there's going to be right. preservatives. I don't care. What right. It's real. It's not possible. And same thing with the shock collars. A store like a Petco should have never been carrying shock collars because they can't redirect. The, they don't have enough communication skills to be redirecting the consumer to the right space. Right. So it's, it's almost a denial of like the other spaces is, is like what, what frustrates me. It's a denial that there are trainers out there who are better equipped to handle anything beyond obedience training than what a box store can offer. And that's fine. But be self-aware enough to say, well, we're just discontinuing it because we're not equipped to teach it. We're not equipped to handle it. We're not equipped to show people how to use this responsibly. Great. Perfect. If, if, if I heard that from a corporation like that, if those words came or something similar came from a corporation like that, I would be clapping saying, okay, that's a place where I'd want to go. Yes. That's a place where I know perhaps I can trust the direction they're going to lead me into as opposed to another claim just to make them look good. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's, it's that purpose versus is it about the messenger or the message? And, exactly. and this, right. Exactly. All right. So this was fun. Happy to do it. Happy to do it. I love this stuff. <laughs> this is so awesome. I thank you for joining me today. It was a blast. I, of course. Uh, I, love, I love talking about human behavior, especially since we're the ones who screw up the world. So. <laughs> <laughs> it is 100% our fault. And, and, and I don't mean dogs. I mean, all of it. Your, if you are not happy with your life, that is 100% your own fault. And it's, it's something that it takes a lot of repetition. It took me a lot of repetition to really like understand that. Mm -hmm. But we are all in charge of what our surroundings are, what our world is. And yes, there are definitely obstacles and hurdles that come each of our ways. But it's about how we handle it and how we move forward. And I think a lot of people have been denying for such a long time that our dog's behavior manifesting into something bad is a really easy one to go, oh, that's the dog's fault. <laughs> now we know where the fault lies. So we're, yeah. gonna, we're going to uh, do a couple more sessions together. We're going to be talking more about human behavior and how we're screwing up all the animals. <laughs> so, 
I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait either. And I'm hoping that my wonderful audience gives us some feedback and uh, we can address their questions. So I'm looking forward to getting that portion of the show moving along. I think that'll be fun. So perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today, Brian. You're awesome. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And I'll have all your information in the show notes. And I look forward to speaking to you again.